0: Nazareth, Pennsylvania. Be thou my vision, of my heart. Not be all else save So how does it feel this morning to uh, worship in such a stripped-down way? We're so used to nice lights and projectors and not having to shuffle papers anymore. And if we were outdoors, we'd be you'd be using these things to swat away gnats, right? <laughs> It's funny, um, I wasn't raised in church and one of my first memories of worship is of a picnic-style worship. My grandfather taking me to the local Grange, if that doesn't date things, how often people would do that still, and having an outdoor worship service with his Methodist church there. Uh, We had contingency plans in place If people came and said, we were supposed to be outdoors. We were ready to pivot outside. And if we were outside and waiting for rain, we were ready to come inside. But... But what if our contingency plans included things like this? If if John gets captured this week, we'll worship at Joanne's house. That's the reality for more Christians today than at any other time in history. For many Christians, stripped down worship is normative, because to do anything else is impractical or impossible. They need to be mobile. When those who were here from Abundant Life, uh, we had church in a box, we called it, because we had to be in and out of the church that was letting us use their worship space in four hours. So we had everything in a big Tupperware container. You have to do things in a more stripped-down way when you do things that way. When you're on the move, sometimes on the run. The church in China today, you can go to the official church. There's a sanctioned church. There are surveillance cameras there to make sure the pastor doesn't say anything the party doesn't want him to say. If he does, he'll disappear. Or you can go to a church where a pastor can preach the word of God faithfully no matter what the party will think and where there are no surveillance cameras. But you'll be in hiding and you'll be in danger. are blessed in the West to have much more convenience and so we tend to live in a culture that values the sort of here and now and doesn't think about long-term goals and, and gains and ends. If what you're doing right now is not working for you, you can just change. You can pick a new goal. You can unsubscribe from this and subscribe to that. I should have asked Gina or Alyssa about this, but I'm imagining that that's true of the way people invest. (laughs) See, agricultural communities, like the ones that Jesus preached to, which is why he used agrarian metaphors, they can't afford to think like that. Can you imagine how catastrophic it would be for harvest in the fall if every time the weather changed, the farmer changed his tactics? (laughs) That's not how organic growth happens. We all were going through a recent drought, you know, not too long ago. Remember when everything was brown a few weeks ago and dusty? Not even a few weeks ago, right? Ten days ago? Now, of course, we can't keep up with the lawn. Lawns will do that. They will be resilient. They will follow the natural order of things. If we keep going as we need to be going, remembering the long-term goal, this is more true for corn and wheat and soy and the things we need to rely on for life in today's readings St. Paul begins by talking to us about what happens if we're not committed to the thing which is good over the long haul and are only thinking about the moment talk about the fruits our lives will bear whether we'll come to full fruit like that ripe corn or whether it be one of those you ever, we're getting into picnic season you know what happens when you open up that corn cob and only half of the kernels have been it's not appealing he talks to us about the fruits our lives will bear if we're erratic and not well I'll talk more about what we're not Jesus talks about the divisions he and his teachings will bring even among the loved ones meaning the obstacles that there are going to be to that long term faithfulness and commitment. The need for each of us to be faithful to him even in the midst of heartache and conflict of sometimes the most personal nature. One of our recently ordained um, pastors in the NALC was disowned by her family Um, because she became a Christian. St. Paul says that we are slaves, or servants, depending on how you translate the word and which one you're used to, to whatever we believe and whatever we do meaning we develop certain habits and practices and beliefs, and then we become the servants of those habits and practices and beliefs. We're almost inexorably and relentlessly, we come to realize the the things that those commitments bring us to, the implications of those things. We have no choice in this, other than the allegiance we give to one thing or another. Our habits and our convictions flow from what we have allegiance to. A couple of years ago, English uh, journalist Steve Turner wrote a poem that he had published, I think... I can't remember which, which newspaper was printed in in England in London, but it's simply a poem called Creed for the Modern World. We know our creed. We'll be saying it when we do Emma Lynn's Baptism. But here's, he, he said, here's the creed in the modern world. We believe in Marx, Freud, and Darwin. That's one word. We believe in Marx, Freud, and Darwin. We believe everything is okay as long as you don't hurt anyone to the best of your definition of hurt and to the best of your knowledge. We believe in sex before, during, and after marriage. We believe in the therapy of sin. We believe that adultery is fun. We believe that sodomy is okay. We believe that taboos are taboo. We believe that everything's getting better despite evidence to the contrary. The evidence must be investigated, and you can prove anything with evidence. We believe there's something in horoscopes, UFOs, and bent spoons. Jesus was a good man, like Buddha, Muhammad, and ourselves. He was a good moral teacher, though we think his good morals were bad. We believe that all religions are basically the same, at least the one that we read was. They all believe in love and goodness. They only differ on matters of creation, sin, heaven, hell, God, and salvation. We believe that after death comes nothing, because when you ask the dead what happens, they say nothing. If death is not the end, if the the dead have lied, then it's compulsory heaven for all, except perhaps Stalin, Hitler, and Genghis Khan. We believe in Masters and Johnson. What's selected is average, what's average is normal, what's normal is good. We believe in total disarmament. We believe there are direct links between warfare and bloodshed. Americans should beat their guns into tractors and the Russians would be sure to follow. We believe that man is essentially good, it's only his behavior that lets him down. This is the fault of society. Society is the fault of conditions. Conditions are the fault of society. We believe that each man must find the truth that is right for him. Reality will adapt accordingly. The universe will readjust. History will alter. We believe there is no absolute truth, accepting the truth that there is no absolute truth. We believe in the rejection of creeds and the flowering of individual thought. If chance be the father of all flesh, disaster is his rainbow in the sky. And when you hear state of emergency, sniper kills ten, troops on the rampage, whites go looting, bomb blasts school, is but the sound of man worshiping his maker. Our commitments will lead us to convictions and our convictions will lead us to habits. Which is why Jesus speaks... Today of his, our need to be loyal, faithful to him, even when that allegiance brings dissension and discomfort to ourselves and to others. Because what he offers us is real life, but he, he offers it the way that real life is offered in a field: you plant in one season, you don't harvest in the same season. There are no shortcuts. There are no quick fixes. There's the long, slow road of faithfulness and discipleship, of repentance and forgiveness, of reconciliation and sanctification. And the great irony is we all want to make the world a better place. We all want to have an impact for good, but it is only faithfulness in the face of seeming loss or failure that ultimately ensures real life is impacted for the good in the long run. Visho Mangalwadi, we've got two of his books out on the cart if people want to borrow them books about the impact the Bible has made, not in a year, not in a decade, not in a hundred years, but over the course of the last 2,000. He starts one book with this quote by Lord Acton. He said, history is the true demonstration of religion. And then he quotes Colombian philosopher Nicolas Gomez Davila. who said, violence is not necessary to destroy a civilization. Each civilization dies from indifference toward the unique values which created it. He has suffered much for being a Christian on the Indian subcontinent, even more for being a Christian who's a professor on the Indian subcontinent. His book called the book that made your world, how the Bible created the soul of Western civilization. He goes through systematically and historically with great breadth of knowledge how even if you're not a Christian, the Bible created the values that you love. Things like, is service to others good? Your sense of self. Are you more like a dog or more like God? (laughs) Your humanity, your rationality, your does anybody know that technology was created by monks? Heroism, revolution, languages, literature, the university, science, morality, compassion, true wealth, liberty. These are the things that Hundreds, thousands, millions of faithful Christians whose names are not remembered by the history books, by their commitment to Christ, help make the centerpiece of the modern world. If I asked you the most famous Christian of the last hundred years, nine out of ten of you would give me one of two names Billy Graham or Mother Teresa because they were successful? Not especially. Mother Teresa in fact said we're not called to be successful we're called to be faithful. And the faithful care of India's outcast for over 50 years this Hungarian princess who rejected her position in a palace to serve on the streets of Calcutta Gave a face to compassion. Gave a name to compassion and that name was Jesus Christ. For all the world to know whether they were Christian or not. It's only by our faithfulness that we can truly make a difference. And that's why we trust, to use St. Paul's words, that the fruit of sin is not self-realization, it's not happiness. It's death. And we trust that the fruit of godliness, even when in the short term it seems like a loss, is sanctification and, in the end, eternal life. We trust in Jesus, even, even when we do not immediately see any benefit, and even when we experience difficulty. And we are sustained in our grief and our weariness and our doubt by the knowledge that He who is in us has conquered the world. And then, that's why we can serve that world without fear and with a peace that passes all understanding. Would you join me for a word of prayer? Sometimes it's hard when the costs are so personal. When they're so intimate. To see the good you are doing through obedience to your word. Strengthen us still for that obedience and when we fail at it, to come back to you quickly. Grant us compassion for all who struggle with that obedience. Help us to strengthen one another for it. Because we want you to work through us. We want to bless the world. We want to be faithful to you, even to the last extreme. Because we want your compassion and your love to replace the violence, the sin, and the hatred that fills our globe. We ask all these things in the name of our Savior Jesus. Amen. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Not be all else to me save that thou art. Be thou my best art in the day and the night. Waking or sleep. Being thy presence, my life.